This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. There's starting to be a greater understanding and education around many conditions, disorders and disability, whether it be ADHD or autism. We now understand that there's a wide spectrum of experience and it's all individual. We've recognised how common they can be and how, as a society, we can make sure we don't discriminate, judge or stereotype. But for one condition, we still have a long way to go, and that's Tourette's Syndrome. It's Tourette's Syndrome Awareness Week, so what do we need to be aware of? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Daniel Miles, joining you from... ABC Warrnambool, Daniel, Tourette's syndrome, I think it's fallen under the stereotype of popular culture. It's seen as the swearing tick syndrome. We need this awareness week, don't we? Mm, Good morning, Rochelle. I have to admit that before we actually started talking about this program, I realised I knew frightfully little about Tourette's syndrome at all, other than what I'd seen exaggerated in movies and in TV shows of the the swearing syndrome that um, in many ways has been set aside and, and put into the realm of comedy where we know that's actually not the case. Upon you know looking into this a bit further, it's a lot more common than I would have known. So I guess probably I'm probably a a perfect vehicle for Tourette's Syndrome Awareness Week because my awareness was so low. But one in 100 kids in Australia at any point are living with Tourette's Syndrome and it's more than just a a physical manifestation or a verbal manifestation. This is something that, um, as we'll probably discuss throughout the hour, has a a lasting toll on people's day-to-day lives. But there's so much that we don't actually know. And in a world where we're... We're so much more aware of the spectrum and, and people are, are so much more, uh, I guess, owning their position on this spectrum. The one element that seems taboo for some reason is Tourette's because we just simply don't speak about it. But I guess that's why we've got this week. And given that one in 100 may be living with Tourette's syndrome, predominantly it hits young boys, but it can hit young girls as well. It will stay with you your entire life, but you just find ways. It may subside a little bit or you'll just find better ways to be able to mask and to be able to, to live with it. But for Tourette's Syndrome Awareness Week, there was a survey done and for half of the people living with Tourette's Syndrome, they say that they are either stared at or that they feel like that people just completely don't understand them, their assumptions are made about them, that it's just ticking behaviour. So half of people living with Tourette's believe that we as a community don't understand and aren't educated enough around Tourette's syndrome. So if we look at your local footy club, your school, mm-hmm. your workplace, a lot of the week this week the association wants some, uh, I guess, a focus on first responders to look at police and to look at ambulance members to make sure that they understand it. Maybe that Tourette syndrome will come into their sphere of, sphere of thinking when it mm-hmm. comes to helping or assisting someone. And there's not a lot of support services out there as well. I mean, there's a great camp that runs every year for yep. families and for individuals. But compared to other disorders and conditions, I feel like Tourette's syndrome just doesn't get the support it needs. Mm, And what we're finding a lot of the time is that it's the people who have been impacted directly by Tourette's syndrome who end up being the champions for the syndrome itself. It's We're not having people come out and and having the, the great amount of, I guess, financial contributions from all levels of government. It's the people who have direct lived experience of what it's actually like going day-to-day with Tourette's syndrome, be it through you know, families, friends, loved ones. They're the people who end up being these accidental champions who live Tourette's syndrome awareness week every week. It's, it's not just this week that we're, we're talking about it. They, they have this experience where, I mean, what, what really hit me when you were just mm. talking then is the physical experience of people who have Tourette's syndrome, what it must be like either thinking that people are staring at you or just having, a, I imagine there must be a sense of a physical element of what it's like to live with these physical tics or verbal tics that it must always be in the back of your mind yeah. that this could be happening. So the more that we can have a discussion like this, being open about it, and I guess for a layperson like me, 
I'm really interested to learn what it's like either living with Tourette's or knowing someone with Tourette's and what can we actually do to make this not so taboo? Absolutely. So do you or someone close to you live with Tourette's syndrome? What would you like others to know? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles is your co-host today. Joining you from ABC Warnable. it is Tourette Syndrome Awareness Week. So what would you like us to know? If you are someone that is living with Tourette Syndrome or if there is someone in your life that is close to you, what do you want us to know? How can we educate ourselves more? Connor Mason is living with Tourette Syndrome and he's coming up to, I think, around 30 years of age. And Connor, you've been a guest on our program in the past. Welcome back to the Conversation Hour. How important is it to have an awareness week like we're having at the moment? Um, It is. Thank you for having me, actually. First things first. Um, It is super important to our community for this awareness week. Um, For a lot of of people in the community, it's like their time of year to feel confident um, and begin starting conversations with workplaces, friends and family, and um, even people in public. You know, it's, it's almost like... Uh, you've got some backup to go, hey, it's actually Awareness Week. Let me let me tell you about this because I know there's lots of information right now um, that you can access. Connor, can you take us through your experience living with Tourette's? When did you first have an understanding that this was something that you lived with? And um, if you don't mind sharing with us, how does the syndrome manifest itself for you? Um, yeah, so I probably first started having tics in my teenage years but not enough that it was really noticeable um or that we me and my family did anything about it um it wasn't until i was in my early 20s um that it started to get really bad and really noticeable and i was throwing my head back and forth swearing um and saying lots of inappropriate uh sentences and phrases um for me mostly now um over um, over the last uh, six years, I've kind of gotten a lot better at managing it, learning what my triggers are and the things that set me off. Um, for me in particular, it's the cold um, is mm-hmm. one of the things that sets me off the most, almost like a shiver response. Wow. Um, I yeah, would never have picked kinda... weather to be something that mm. might trigger it. Yeah, I know. Most people most people wouldn't. Um, obviously, anxiety is a huge one as well. Um, and learning to um, kind of almost manage your anxiety and the things that will make you anxious, because obviously it can start like a feedback loop where anxiety makes you tick and then the ticks make you more anxious and then you end up in this kind of vicious circle. With, is there a, an element of your, your day-to-day life, Connor, knowing that you, you have these ticks that... It's always in the back of your mind. Is there a part of you that always has an awareness of of the fact that you, you have these tics and trying to control either your anxiety or your environment? And does that have a, like a physical manifestation for you? It's, it must be very tiring, I imagine. Yeah, 100%. Like it, it never leaves my mind um, that it is a thing that I'm living with. You know, there's always that worry that, oh, I'm, if I'm going to go somewhere where there's a lot of children, am I going to offend someone or am I going to say something that's really horrible? Um, and there's always that worry when you go somewhere new and you're around new people um, that you're going to offend people. Um, and it often just, for me, it makes me feel tight. It makes me feel tight and stressed because, you know, I'm, I'm trying so hard to hold them in or to, you know, I'm worrying about them so much that it often starts the issue. You know, the, the worry about it makes it 10 times worse, um, which is, I think, where in the last couple of years I've started getting better, is I've started to let go of that anxiety about ticking um, and the anxiety about what people are going to think about me. And it has made it a wow. lot easier. And is that because with age, right, as we get older, we actually mm-hmm. just generally start to care less about what people <laughs> think about us? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think that's definitely got something to do with it, you know. Um, and as you get older, you your brain does mature um, and you start to develop uh, more mental breaks, you know, that you don't have as a teenager and as a child. Um, and it's those mental breaks that people with Tourette's struggle with. When you're um, growing up and talking about Tourette's, Connor, and, and people, someone like me comes up who doesn't have a lived experience, doesn't have a lot of knowledge about Tourette's other than what you see in the movies. What do you say to people who, when they come up and say, what is it actually like living with Tourette's? And what do you want us to know, the, the people who don't have that lived experience like you? Yeah, I'd say um, I think it's really important for people to know that most of us just want to get on with our day. <laughs> you yeah. know, we, we have it, it, Tourette's is a part of us, but it's not who we are. 
you know often it's like mm -hmm. it's such a side part to our personalities and and our goals in life um that it the main thing we i guess most of us want people to know is to look past it you know and understand that these are things that we can't control and often it bothers us as much as it's bothering other people connor macy is with you living with tourette syndrome your mum is someone that is absolutely incredible and has thrown herself headfirst into the tourette's association of australia connor stay with us because your mum mandy joins us as well mandy a warm welcome to the conversation hour you have two boys, two sons that are living with Tourette's syndrome. For you as a mum, how did this start to unfold for you? What did you recognise first? Yeah, morning. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I've actually got three um, kids with Tourette's syndrome. So the two boys and uh, and then the younger one, Trix, who is 12. Um, it was actually Trix that we noticed had odd squints and nods and head, um, head movements first. Um, so, in actual fact, Trix became, uh, got diagnosed with Tourette's before anybody else. And then it was Connor, and then it was Void, the middle one. Um, so, it's, uh, it came on, I, I guess we had a sort of a, a two-year period where we had, as far as we were aware, not very much Tourette's in the house, to suddenly having a house full of it. And from that moment, Mandy, your world must have been turned upside down and it sounds like it's accelerated a bit to all of a sudden you're the president of the association in Australia. <laughs> How do you go from being a, a mum learning about Tourette's to all of a sudden a, a champion for the association? Do you know what? I can't. I can't sit by and let other people do stuff for me. I'm a bit of a, <laughs> a, bit of a control freak. Um, I... I need to know everything there is about something. So if I'm going somewhere, I need to read every book about where I'm going so that I know uh, what to expect and what to look out for and things like that. So when it comes to a medical diagnosis, it's like I need to know. The Tourette's came up and it was like I, I absolutely have to know everything I can know about Tourette's syndrome. So within 24 hours of Trixie's diagnosis, I was a member of the Tourette's Syndrome Association. Within six months, I was a, um, a support group leader. And, uh, and then sh followed swiftly after that, I was a committee member, vice president. And then it's like, you know, it's just like, if there was a next step up from president, I'd probably be aiming for that <laughs> one as well, just to make sure, you know, short of doing a doctorate, which I don't think I could manage right now at 50. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's much further I can go. But what I can do is make sure that the message is out there and make sure that I'm advocating not only for my kids, but for everybody with Tourette's syndrome. Mandy, in the past, when I've spoken and spent time with families who are living with Tourette's syndrome, they haven't felt like the, the support networks or the peer-to-peer -peer and the localised support networks are there and have done pretty much what you've done, which is like, well, I'm just either going to run it myself or, or start it myself. And I can yeah. remember years ago meeting this incredible family and the young boy who was living with and still living with uh, Tourette's syndrome wanted to play soccer but was really, really nervous, really scared about starting because mm. of how people may react. And the yeah. best way that they approached it is that the, the mum went to the local club, was just up front and said, you know, my young boy wants to play. He's living with threats. This is what his ticks are. This is what they look like. This is how they manifest. Mm -hmm. The the club coach or whoever it may be spoke to all the players, laid it all out, and everyone went, okay, cool, yeah. great. Now we Absolutely. understand. And yeah. then that was that. <laughs> it was Absolutely. as simple as that. Do you know one of the things that we find is that kids and young people are way more understanding and accepting than the grown-ups um it just is i mean they just they just see somebody with an extra need and just go oh okay then as long as i know what that need is then we can go with it um you know it's my youngest has got a best friend who's uh, who's in a wheelchair at school and it's just like it's just another part of who this person is it's not who you know it's not what they are it's not who they are it's just a part and parcel of the person and uh, it's not defining somebody Mandy and Connor Macy are with you. It is Tourette's Syndrome Awareness Week. one three hundred triple two seven seven four. Beth's called from Sunbury. Hi, Beth. Hi, how are you? Welcome. What did you want to say? I just want to talk to you about my grandson, Oscar. Tell us and, about Oscar. Uh, well, when he was born, he started having these funny movements and... Um, he would sit there and move his arms and legs back and forward and shake his head back and forward. And uh, my daughter took him to the 
pediatrician. She thought maybe he was having seizures and the doctor said, no, they're not seizures. And they continued and they just didn't uh, know what was happening. And then finally one pediatrician said, maybe it's Tourette's. And anyway, Mm. he was at my house one day and um, over the weekend he stayed at my house and he was um, shaking back and forth and throwing his legs in the air and his head back and forth. And I said, what's the matter, Oscar? And he goes, oh, I'm just so excited. And so anyway, I said to his mum um, the next day, I said, oh, this is what happened. She goes, oh, that's his Tourette's. And mm. I just said, oh, that's fantastic. Now I know. Yeah, yeah. Now I know. Is now the diagnosis, that's a really interesting thing that you raise, Beth. Beth, stay with us because, Mandy, is getting a diagnosis difficult? Uh, it is because doctors are quite scared of making a diagnosis. They're scared of making a diagnosis and it being wrong, uh, which is a bit of a shame because the prevalence of um, Tourette syndrome is one in 100. Uh, which is the same as autism. And to be diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, you just need to have had vocal and motor tics present for 12 months. So it's a really, you know, fairly relevant criteria. You know, if you've got the motor and the vocal tics, then it's likely to be not necessarily Tourette syndrome. It could just be a tic disorder, but it's more likely that it's Tourette syndrome. And as we heard from Beth, the example of Oscar, he's moving around and he's really excited. And, and that's a really yeah. heartwarming um, manifestation <laughs> yeah. of that, Mandy. But sadly, it seems in pop culture, the only manifestation of Tourette's we get is swearing or is um, incoherent sounds or, or yes. things that are offensive. Is it frustrating to you that that is the element of Tourette's that gets broadcast yeah. to the world? I think it's very frustrating for the Tourette's community that that is... Um, what the, the stereotypical, the stereotype that we see in the media. Uh, for me, all my, all three of my kids have all the swearing and all the hand signals and and all the, the obscene writing and things. So for them, it's actually quite a, a, ha- a helpful thing. Um, people that have the copros um, struggle with people saying, but that's quite a rare part of Tourette syndrome. So you know, and and it, so it's a double-edged sword. It's really, um, you get a lot of pediatricians will not diagnose because somebody's not swearing because they don't understand it in the same way. And so they're saying, well, you can't have Tourette's because you're not doing the swearing. So we really need the education out there to make sure that people realise that it could just be grunts and sniffs and head nods and things like that, which is why with the prevalence of one in a hundred, that it's not as noticeable as you would expect because some people can just hide it better than others. Um, I think the reason why we get the stereotype is because that's the one that's in our face. Yeah, that's right. Beth, thank you so much for sharing your story about Oscar. Lovely to hear from you. Connor, let's go back to when I guess you were growing up. How was it being at school and playing sport? Did you have a tight circle of friends? I know that the Tourette syndrome cap that's put on annually is incredible and it helps people feel seen uh, and that they've got their tribe. But going to school and growing up, did you feel like you had the support, whether it be from teachers and friends? Um, well, I didn't I didn't have it um, quite as bad when I was in high school. So for me, it really, um, my high school life was relatively normal. Um, my experience mostly is trying to live as a young adult um, with it. And it's trying, things like trying to get a job and have people understand. Um, workplaces just don't understand that a customer might be okay with you swearing at them. Um, because that's not the image they want to they want to put across. Um, and it's the same with trying to make friends as an adult. It's like trying to explain to people um, what your Tourette's is. And it's like the questions, it's like, although it's endearing to begin with, sometimes they never stop when you meet a person. Um, yeah. And it's the only thing they want to do when they talk to you is talk about Tourette's and yeah. talk about your disability. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it can be it can be quite like, well, it's not that's not the only thing I've got going yeah, on. I've can got some other stuff to talk about. Exactly. Let's <laughs> yeah. talk about the football. Let's talk about films, yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's quite funny, exactly like my mum said. It's often the young younger people are far more accepting 
uh, from the get-go um, than older people. You know, um, I think a lot of people, when you've never encountered someone with Tourette's, it's quite confronting and you, sometimes I think people don't understand how it can exist. You know, how, how can they have lived their entire life never seeing this and now here it is in front of them? Um, and they almost don't believe it, I think, it's part of it. Whereas kids, yeah, like my mum said, they just see right through it. They're just like, yeah, cool, that's a thing you do, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, let's go play some soccer. So what about yeah. getting work, Connor? Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was very difficult for me um, in the past. Um, you know, I was working in retail originally when it got very bad, um, and then no one wanted me to be in front of customers. Um, and then I managed to find a very um, accepting workplace. Um, and I, but I, w- I was working in a warehouse, so you're away from away from the public, um, and you're you really just only have to. Um, work around staff you know and it's like we all the staff members would understand um and then we'd have a new cohort of staff members would start and then all of a sudden the staring would begin as everyone's going oh my god what's that guy doing you know and then it would be a couple of weeks of that until they kind of all realized what was going on and then it fades into the background i'd regularly get people coming up to me at work and going you haven't ticked in ages and i'd like i literally was yelling curse words at the top of my lungs this morning i think it just people just it begins to fade into the background when the more and more but see- you see it the idea that you had to move to the warehouse, you know, that you weren't front of house. Uh, yes, you found an area and a place that you could work, but that goes to show just how far we have to shift and move as a society, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Like, I'm I'm an extremely social person. Like, there's nothing more than I like than chatting away to people and, and being social. Um, and so to have to almost cut that part off of myself um, to find a job was, was very difficult. I've actually changed industry again now and I'm working in disability care. So I'm like a disability support worker. And I found that that is such a beautiful, happy medium in that I'm always dealing with new people um, and new clients. Um, and if anyone understands a disability, it's uh, it's clients that have a disability themselves. Um, and they're often so lovely about it. You know, it's um, we can both relate to each other um, and it helps me foster much better relationships. We're speaking with Connor and Mandy Macy as part of Tourette's Syndrome Awareness Week here in Australia. Um, Connor, I, I know you said it gets frustrating that uh, in many ways talk you, you, you identify as being more than just um, this syndrome that you live with. But given it is Tourette's Syndrome Awareness Week, I'm going to ask you another question about living with Tourette's Syndrome. <laughs> oh, no, ask, okay. ask away, ask away. We're, we're, talking, we're talking weeks and weeks of questions here. You can ask as many questions as you want. I'm always happy to educate. Well, that's what I think is a really important part of this week. But what about the toll that having to educate takes on you? Mm. There's an element of that. Should it be up to the people who live with these syndromes to be the people who are also doing the educating? Do we actually need to look to people like state and federal governments and say, why aren't you talking about this more? And why aren't you being that voice for people? Why does it have to be the people who live with these syndromes? Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're I think you're very right. It it does get very draining knowing that often I'll spend, you know, half my day explaining to people I encounter in public what Tourette's is and that I've got Tourette's and you know, going through the whole it's almost like a song and dance I have completely mastered now, you know, I know all the beats mm. and all the points that I need to hit <laughs> so that people kind of walk away with an understanding. Um, but as you can, but if you can imagine, like, you know, I'm, like you said, I'm almost 30 now, so I'm quite confident in speaking to people and strangers, but it's mostly children that are, that Mm. are seriously affected by this. And how do we, how do we expect children to effectively communicate what's going on to them, to strangers, you know? And I think that's where people like the government and even health, health authorities could really be helpful, um, is knowing that it's the kids that need the help explaining it to people because there's so much out there about autism and how we can react to autism when we're out and about but nothing nothing for people with Tourette's Mm. and Mandy you've climbed the ladder to very quickly become the president but you must be so proud hearing the way that Connor speaks and and is such an advocate in Mm -hmm. in this space does it sort of uh, I guess that's something you never thought would be a part of your life but he's um, such an eloquent advocate for this. Yeah. Do you know what? He's always been a fantastic speaker. He's always been a very personable person. Um, so we always knew that he was, um, you know, he was a good one, so to speak. But I am super <laughs> proud of him. The fact that he does um, stand up and advocate for not just himself, but for the Tourette's community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he is just so, um, so out there and able to do it. Um, because there are so many people that can't. And so as a family, we did kind of have that conversation that we needed to try and advocate where we can so that people that can't necessarily do it for themselves are represented.
And that's what this week is about. And people can go to the Tourette's Association of Australia, especially if you're listening to this and you run a workplace where you think, oh, I've never thought about this. You know, how can mm. I either educate myself or my staff more? Maybe it's a school or a sporter group or just you as an individual. This text that's come in and it says, how disappointing to hear that Connor was removed from interaction with customers. I would mm-hmm. welcome being served by anyone, regardless of any individuality. People with differences yeah. should not be hidden from the world. This shows just how hideously close-minded some people are, even though it's 2023. This week is is really important, and I would encourage and urge people to jump onto that website and to see what they can do. Mandy, Connor, and to the rest of your family... As always, thank you so much for coming on the Conversation Hour and speaking and spending time with us. It's incredible work that you do. Thanks so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. See ya. Connor and Mandy Macy. Connor living with Tourette's Syndrome as two of his siblings. Their mum, Mandy, Daniel, now the president. Yeah, the ad- accidental advocate. Aren't there some incredible families out there? <laughs> like, don't you just go, I've got to be... I've got to become a better person, a better parent. Like, I've got so much more I could be doing with my life. When you meet people yeah. like that, you just think, I'm living a quarter of my life. Yeah, you know? a quarter if that. Like, just hearing the way that Connor speaks, oh, I found that quite inspiring. Like, he spoke so yeah, eloquently about something that um, he must get sick of talking about because... Um, as he mentioned, he's more than just a syndrome. He's more than someone who has a tick. You know, might want to talk about how, uh, you know, the Richmond Tigers are struggling in the AFL. I don't really want to talk about that. But he I'm might. happy to talk about that. No, come on, Michelle. Don't, don't poke that scab. I can't take it at the moment. <laughs> Jump onto the Tourette's Association of Australia website if you want some more information. Another area that they want people to look at this particular week and ongoing is if you're working in the front line. So if you're working as a police officer, if you're working in emergency services, if you're working as a paramedic, do you also need to educate yourself and your peers around Tourette's syndrome? So if you or someone you love, someone close to you is living with Tourette's syndrome, what would you like us to know? As a community, how can we educate ourselves more? Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunty with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles, your co-host today, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. It's Tourette's Syndrome Awareness Week this particular week. I feel like it's something we need to just discuss more and more, you know, and that's the mm. thing. I love days and weeks because it highlights it for that moment, but then it falls away and we don't talk about it anymore. How do we raise it so that we're talking about Tourette's the way we talk about ADHD now, the way that we understand uh, autism and aspect burgers and the, and the the spectrum and how mm. we make sure that workplaces are inclusive you know so we've progressed so much but i feel like this area we haven't yeah and like we said at the top the top of the show it feels like this is a little bit of a taboo area and i wonder how much or what role hollywood has to play in that in the i guess the comic sort of representations that we've seen over the past couple of decades about Tourette's, not seeing it as something that people live with and has a physical toll on their life, but more a punchline. And I think that's something we probably need to step away from. But also, I wonder why is it always up to people like Mandy and Connor to do the talking? People who actually have this as a as an element of their everyday life. Why is it that Tourette's is not spoken about the same way that autism is? When, as Mandy said, um, the rate is re- really quite yeah, similar. One, in, one in 100. One in 100. These are big numbers. Workplaces are at potentially, a lot of the time, at a huge advantage to mm. to make change, you know, and to put whether it be quotas, whether you believe them or not, or just to think about it, to think about it mm. in their hiring process, to think about it in how they approach customers, just to have that in the back of your mind within your workplace. Our frontline services, I guess, need to think about that more so than a lot of others when it comes to education and understanding of Tourette's Syndrome. Another ambassador for the Tourette's Syndrome Association of Australia is James Sayers. James, a warm welcome to the conversation hour. Thank you you very much. What would you like us as a community to understand more about you and your day-to-day life? Mine personally? Yeah. Um... Look, I tell you what, mate. Um, I'm in terms of the community. I'm I'm at a place now where I have very much uh, come to terms with my threats, and it's not something you know that 
you can just decide and it happens. Like it's, it's been a lot of self-reflection. And, but as a result, I, I, I think my perspective on what people think is just a little different. And like, it's definitely changes depending on my mood, mm. but like what Connor was saying, um, I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of just being able to educate someone and just being proud that, you know, I am true myself and what I want to change is something that I will make a change to impact my well-being mm. and not, not the way someone else thinks. And I think, you know, that's, that's a lesson for people with more than just Tourette's. And I think that just getting that mindset and educating people on what it's like to have Tourette's and how it's a lot it's a lot easier said than done. Just allowing people to understand it more will just make it so much easier when, you know, when we're down and we've got that little internal monologue in our head going, mm. oh, I think they're looking at me in a negative way. Because, you know, a lot of the time, and this is what I tell people that want to ask me questions, that curiosity isn't offensive. You know what I mean? Like oh, a lot of the time, yeah. yeah, like a scare, which, you know, depending on what, um, frame of mind you're in, a stare, like in, in one case can be rude, but also if, if, if you were on a train and you heard someone yell potato, it, it's just a reaction. And sometimes, mm. you know, we don't actually mean to do something in a negative way. We, it's like when, when someone goes, mate, you were just staring. It's like, oh, sorry. And, and I've had many occasions where I've been uh, in a good frame of mind where I've actually approached them. And it goes from this, you know, trying to predict what was going on in their head. And a lot of the time, if you're in a bad headspace, it's quite negative. You know, oh, you know, they're, they're staring at me. But most of the time, it has been a really nice, engaging, you know, um, experience. And not only do they feel like just so much better because they can empathize a bit better. I feel better that I've made an impact yeah. on someone else. You know and then it I mean? snowballs. I love the term yeah, cu- yeah. curiosity is not offensive. But James, what I've realised with both yourself and Connor, as you age, as you get older, we start to be able to be more true to ourselves. Everybody is like that. We start Absolutely. to not care what people think about us. We start to be more proud about how we're individual that's not the case when we're younger, though, when we're trying no. to figure out our identity or, we, you know, we don't have that internal strength. And a lo- Tourette's syndrome manifests in a lot of younger kids as well. How do, how do we help the younger kids? Um, I think um, on, a, on a personal level, I believe that when a lot more people, and this is where the Awareness Week and where Tourette's has been going, just with... Uh, raising the awareness when the, like the more people that can be educated and understand it, it makes it so much easier again for them to empathize with how the kids are feeling and I I look back at the 90s like I, I was diagnosed when I was four um, and that was 1994 there was there was as a child I didn't have there was no you know there was no ambassadors or role models with threats and there was no if someone was staring at you as a four-year-old you know you couldn't you couldn't explain it because you barely understood it yourself because there was no information out there um so i think i think the first state was i have hiccups in my brain i think that was stage one and then the movies as much as they stigmatize threats as you know is that the thing where you swear Mm-hmm. At least I had a reference. I'd say, yes, you know right. that movie. I'd say, you know, Juice Bigelow. Yeah, I've got that. And it, as as you know, as stigmatised as it is, it still made it easier. And in this day and age, the fact that I can say I have Tourette's, and it's the starting point. We still have a long way to go, but looking at the big picture, that is so much better than back in the nineties. And again, because as we're maturing, obviously. With kids, regardless of threats or not, you know, we are, like, you think about school, you've got your social status and what's, what's phasing and mm. whatever like that. Like, you're always, 
going to be afraid of acceptance and shame and blame and guilt. Like, and that's just, that's just life. But just being able to even like personally be able to show people that it doesn't have to define you. And when you can wear it and be proud of it, you, you are just absolutely unstoppable. And yeah. that, that, that attitude, it radiates like mm. it, you know what I mean? Like you see, like sometimes if you're, if you're just killing life and you're strutting down the street, sometimes it takes like one smile for someone that's just having a bad day. You know, yeah. the other that's way, across the board. You know what I mean? Really, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and James, what about we've been discussing through the program first responders and whether they have you know enough education and understanding about what Tourette syndrome is and and when they do come into contact with people with Tourette's, how to appropriately uh, have these conversations? Yeah. Do you think that first responders actually are aware enough about Tourette's and, and how it manifests and and what is required in those situations? Um, at this point in time, I find that. I, I can't really answer just because I haven't had an encounter with a first responder in a long time. However, I did have a very, a very um, just disgraceful encounter 10 years ago. Um, that being said, um, it would have been, you know, I, I personally think it was a case of regardless of education, it was more a bully that had authority. And once I had tried to say I had Tourette's, because I was already getting pushed against a vehicle and arrested for being drunk in public when I was completely sober, um, it was almost like a double down because I was, you know, it was, I was challenging his first uh, assumption. And because it was a complete power show, I was completely powerless like that was an awful experience that yeah, i just haven't been able to let go because just the psychologue like and that's you know i was young as well but like i like i said in, as, in the big picture i know there's a lot more awareness and if there was just some form of or a campaign for first responders just to be aware especially that a lot of the vocal and motor chicks they're going to be they're going to be things that are going to seem like direct and malicious, like yeah. insults. And that's that because, they can think oh, that, sorry. that it's in their sphere of thinking, that because maybe Absolutely. they're not even thinking that. James, you're amazing. You, you really are. You're incredible. And you've given lots of people oh, a sending you. through text saying, oh, my God, that's the best description that I've heard. You know, hiccups in the brain is the best analogy. <laughs> and, you know, curiosity is not offensive. I'll take with me as well. James Sayers, oh, thanks no. so much for joining us. It's an no important worries, week. Have a great day. You too, mate. He's one of the ambassadors for the Tourette's Association of Australia. Curiosity is not offensive. I'm yeah. making a T-shirt, man, yeah. and that's Just going get that on tattooed it. on your flank. That's <laughs> something to live by. Absolutely. Brad's called from sale. Hi, Brad. How you going? Good, mate. What did you want to say? Um, yeah, I, I'm sort of, I've probably come to Tourette's at a later age. I was diagnosed at 37. I managed oh, wow. to hide golf for all that time. Um but it was there. It was a, a period of a stress that brought it on for me. Um, mm-hmm. So did you I have think- it your whole life, Brad? Do you think it only got the diagnosis at 37 or do you feel like it only started to manifest later in life? I, I can remember doing Tarzan calls wall, walking down to the school bus stop. So, um, yeah, always had it, uh, but it obviously was fairly well hidden. I had a few other issues that I think were now associated with it. Um, but I can control it in a, in a way that I can hide and be keep the ticks from being obvious um, mm. most of the time, not all the time. Um, so that sort of helped me hide it and, and helps and me Brad, a bit more social at times. <laughs> when you actually had that diagnosis and, and had an answer for something that, you know, when you looked back was happening all the way back when you were in, going to school, did that make you feel any different? Did it, did it give you a sense of comfort of understanding perhaps? Uh, there, was, there was probably quite more, a lot more fear with it at that point for me. Like um, I knew something was wrong. I was going through a, a period of incredible stress, um, and it was a, a, as much as it was life changing. It was life changing, both positive and negative. So the realization of the so to me the ticks are the easy bit. But, um, mm. It's all the other associated problems that are so, um, that we have. I have issues with that causes me the grief. But um, so having that in the background, knowing that I'm going to be dealing with that for a long time, was wasn't the greatest feeling. Um, yeah, I'm coming to terms with it. I've completely changed my life and um, 
done a lot of things to help, but yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't an easy process. And Brad, just finally, I mean, we often roll our eyes a little bit at, you know, days and weeks and it's a blah, blah, blah week and yada, yada, yada day. But I feel like sometimes we do need them, don't we? Because it, we're talking about it. Like, are days and weeks to raise awareness helpful? Yeah, and I, I'm very open with it. And to a point, I, I still meet with community in my role and um, quite happy to talk about it. And it, it, like like you just said, you know, um, actually people understanding and being aware of it is really, really important. And I love people asking questions. So... Um, that actually helps us through Curiosity is not offensive. That's yeah. <laughs> we've learned that today. And, and I make so many offensive comments because of the Tourette's, and often it's not obvious that it's part of the, the Tourette's. Like the, the built-up energy of that, the tick that you're trying to hold in, comes out in other ways, uh, and really cheeky comments and the built-up energy. Does that get tiring? Yeah. Uh, my, the best way I can describe it. So if you think of having a sneeze. Now, if you completely relax into the sneeze, you can often have these big releases and a big relief. Um, if you try and hold that sneeze, you tend to have a retained energy that lingers for a period afterwards, just that bit of an urge to still sneeze. Mm. Um, that, for me, is constant. Well, that's a really good analogy. Brad, thanks so much for your call. It's really great to speak with you and, and to share your experience as well. We've had so many great analogies across the I'm show. Love um, I love the idea of... I used to call those big sneezes dad sneezes because they're the only kind of sneeze that your dad does. And now I'm a dad. I do them all the time. You haven't heard me sneeze, man. Seriously, <laughs> I wake people up, streets away. Sue's in Geelong. Hi, Sue. Hi, how are you? Well, what did you want to say? Well, um, I had a moment uh, in the mid-90s where I was one of those uninformed people that kind of went by the stereotypes that it was about swearing, right? And um, I was at this tapas bar in Canada, where I'm from originally, (laughs) and uh, there was this wonderful flamenco guitar player. And he was awesome and just played beautifully. And then on his break, he came to the table next to me and started talking to me and we're chit-chatting. And um, I'm a muso too, so we were talking about people, you know, the the scene, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And we're... He's talking, and I'm noticing that he has some ticks and um, some jerky movements and kind of like sneezing a bit, like sort of cough, sneeze sort of thing. And But we're laughing. Like, he was hilarious, right? So he's telling me these stories, and he's laughing. I'm laughing. Mm. And then he was having a hard time getting through one of the stories. And then he said to me, you know, kind of like, sorry, I have Tourette's, right? And stupid me, oh my god! <laughs> and, and then, then I it went, oh. But this is the thing that we're learning: is <laughs> that mm. the more we just say "I have Tourette's," and then we lean in and ask those questions. Yeah, but I went. So I went to him. Went, oh, ha ha ha! Good one, good one. Oh, you didn't believe him. <laughs> and I said, I said, aren't you supposed to be swearing or something? That was me, right? And then he looks at me, and he's still, you know, in the middle of his moment with chicks and then he's like actually not everyone swears with Tourette's there's other things and then my eyes just bulged open like tears oh, yeah you had that awake so, so yeah, I, I dare say you're not alone now I think a lot of us have believed the stereotype mm-hmm. And maybe if someone said that to you and you're in a bar and you're joking and laughing casually, you would think it was a one-off comment because people used to use it actually, didn't they? In a, Absolutely. a really and negative derogatory throwaway term if, you know, for whatever reason, if you were acting or behaving in a certain way. And this is just the only exposure that a lot of people have to Tourette's is through exaggeration in movies. But I guess that comes full circle back to why weeks like this are really important because we get to hear stories from people like Sue who says, you know, this was my experience, I've owned up to it, but now this isn't where we're at anymore. Uh, weeks can be seen as being a, a bit a bit fluffy or a, a bit, you know, inconsequential, mm. but I know in this week alone, uh, in this 50-minute period alone, I've probably spoken more and learnt more about Tourette's than I have in maybe the seven years before it. 
This text, my son developed Tourette's age seven. At school in class, he exhibited frequent noises, snorting, throat clearing, animal noises. We were told it was too upsetting for the other children. The teacher couldn't teach unless we did something about it. A paediatrician put him on antipsychotics to suppress the tics, which was somewhat effective. However, the long-term effects of that medication have been severe and permanent. Now, 12 years later, I wish I had not felt that there was no other option except to medicate and to try and placate the the school. We encouraged and enc- sorry, we encountered many ignorant teachers who would punish or exclude our son due to his various tics. I hope that the community and the professional awareness grows so that other young people don't have to experience this. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Michelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. We're talking Tourette Syndrome today. It's Tourette Syndrome Awareness Week. I feel like we should be talking about it more and more and more. So today's conversation is just so great. Lachlan Scott is a speech pathologist. He specialises and works in hearing loss, also lives with Tourette Syndrome. And Lachlan, going and choosing to work in speech pathology was a very distinct move for you and something that where you almost wanted to embrace Tourette syndrome into your work? Um, Yeah, I think that for me, I was well aware that people would perceive a sense of irony um, when it came to my choice of occupation. Um, Obviously, as you've been talking about all the show, the common public knowledge around Tourette syndrome can be really misinformed. And I think there is this association still with if you have Tourette syndrome, you can't talk properly, you can't communicate properly. Um, And so I realized that that was going to be an interesting sort of dynamic as someone that wanted to go into a field where I could help people with their communication as much as possible. Um, I know that when I was growing up, I had a really difficult time um, with my communication. Um, While my tics are very physical nowadays, they were extremely vocal um, when I was a child and growing up, and I just found it so difficult to express myself. And I think that just having an opportunity to help other people with that, especially other children, um, you know, going through similar things, it's, it's almost cathartic mm. in that sense. Mm. It's really interesting, and hearing you speak in that way, Lachlan, is, is a very empowering thing. We've had people all over the text line saying, uh, I don't have Tourette's, but I would prefer to talk to someone who can talk to the fine details about their lived experience rather than a neurotypical who can only talk broad brush strokes. That's Cassandra in Sunbury. Is that what you're finding uh, both in your work as a pathologist and as so many people who live with Tourette's as a, an accidental advocate or educator that, that people are really curious about Tourette's syndrome? Yeah, I think um, because overall as a society, I think we are moving in a you know, very positive direction when it comes to acceptance regarding things like neurodivergence. I think that people nowadays are sort of questioning the, you know, perceptions they already had um, regarding a lot of these conditions and just asking themselves, okay, what do I actually know? You know, what do I know that is a stereotype? What do I know that's actual fact? And I think that nowadays people are really... um, empowered to learn and to educate themselves. And I think that talking to people that have those conditions is such a fantastic way of doing that. Um, I definitely think that people are curious in day-to-day life. And I think that it's funny, working with children, um, children are, of course, very curious. Children don't hold back um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to their curiosity. They say the very first thing in their mind, um, and they just go for it. And when I was a child and I had my symptoms, you know, I wasn't properly medicated yet. I wasn't as in control um, of myself as I am now. Children would say terrible things. And I, I wondered if when I started work, if that was going to be a similar experience. But it's actually been so nice to have some really innocent questions from children who just don't know what's going on and are a bit curious and just want to know um, and mm. just want a bit of an answer. And I've never had a bad experience um, in my work from a child or any of my clients. Um, Lachlan, stay with us because Jordan's called in from Ballarat. Jordan, good morning to you. Uh, Good morning. Tourette's is something that you've experienced. What would you like to share with us? Uh, I was probably, I was quite early on. I was um, diagnosed, I'm in my early 40s now, so I was diagnosed as a a 12-year-old and and, um, had really quite early memories of it from primary school and um, it was a really un- unknown part in the late 80s in particular yeah. um, 
and yeah, you know, a, a lot of ridicule and things like that. And it, uh, yeah, look, I was one of those ones that went through a lot of, I guess, trial medications, trying to find things that work, and um, and sort of in that bracket where as, as you've got gotten gotten older with age, sort of um, become probably a bit more symptomatic in my later years again. Um, and just sort of dealing with those things in regards to medication, the, the biggest thing I suppose has been in the past the enormous amount of weight gain and, and dealing with those. those it's fascinating, Jordan, that you mentioned the sort of back in the in the eighties, you know, when we didn't really know how to diagnose what to look for. There was lots of stereotypes around. We did a an incredible conversation on ADHD and diagnosis later in life, and they mentioned lots of people mentioned exactly what you just mentioned, Jordan, which was that we sort of didn't understand it in the eighties, mm. and we just sort of wrapped a stereotype around it, and maybe threw an inappropriate medication towards it. But now. Now we're starting to realise and to recognise. Just finally, Lachlan Scott, it is an awareness week. What would you like people, if there was one thing, we've had some great quotes that we can all walk away with today and learn from. What would you like people to, to know and understand so that as a community we can help in particular kids be able to grow up into adults being proud of who they are and proud of their individuality? Mm. Um, I think... Gosh, if I could pass on just one message to people, um, gosh, that phrase that we I've heard you toss around all show about, yeah, curiosity is not offensive, is just so true. I think that for a lot of people, um, I'd bring it back to their children. I know that I had a really hard time growing up, and I think that if people really, as parents, um, you know, encourage their children to be accepting, to be kind, to be understanding of what other people were going through. If that kind of mentality that can come really easily to us as adults is something that we could try and spread around as much as possible, especially over the people we have most, you know, control over and ability to educate, I think that could be so good because, you know, just encouraging that for the next generation and continuing Mm. to propagate that kind of a mentality, I think would just be so positive. Beautifully said. Lachlan, thank you so much for being a part of the program. Thank you for having me. That was Lachlan Scott, speech pathologist working in hearing loss. He's got a a lived experience of Tourette's and was able to really sum it up quite nicely, I think, Michelle. And so does Emma in Altono Meadows. It says, this is a wonderful conversation. I'm learning so much. And so did we. Mm. And it's a privilege, isn't it? It is such a privilege. Absolutely, but it's also, this sounds a bit silly to say, but it's also been a little bit inspiring to hear the way that people have taken on something that is so negatively perceived by Hollywood but turn it into a positive that's been empowering for them. But later in life? You yeah. know, so there's still those younger years and they're the vulnerable years. And But this is why we need to have these conversations because it's different when you're older and you're bolshier and mm. you can tell other people to stick it if they don't like it. When you're a little <laughs> kid, it's not the way. So having these conversations is just so important.